This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. It's been a big uh, football weekend, hasn't it? Uh, Lots of games going on, uh, lots of pageantry, lots of enthusiasm, uh, lots of fans cheering. Uh, You'll be happy to know that Croatia is now up over Canada at halftime. Some upsets that we've seen, but a big game on Tuesday uh, with the USA versus Iran uh, to see if we can advance out of pool play into the the round of 16, right? Big time football weekend, don't you think? Oh, wait. Sorry, there was other kind of football that was being played. Some won, some lost. But anyway, football, right? One of the things I love about watching the World Cup is the singing. Have you noticed, if you've watched any of these matches, that the fans from almost every country, with one notable exception, (laughs) seem to be singing songs all throughout their games, right? There's some have, they have trumpets that they're playing, others have drums. There's just lots of singing happening in in their games. Now, there's one exception, uh, the U.S. team. There's a chanting of USA, but there's not a lot of singing. And I'm reminded of a time when I went back to my alma mater to see to see a game uh, with my daughter, and we went to to watch the game, and it was the weekend of Veterans Day, and so there was parachute uh, paratroopers that landed, and so it was very uh, very patriotic uh, pregame celebration, and they said, please stand uh, for uh, the singing of the national anthem, and they said, we invite you to sing with us, and they actually put the words up on the screen for anyone who didn't happen to know the words. Um, but I, what I noticed was that there were very few people singing. It was mainly people listening to the music. There was one person in my section that was really singing very loudly, uh, much to the dismay of his daughter. But when someone says, sing the national anthem, it's an opportunity to sing the national anthem. And really, honestly, when it's played, I sing it, much to the dismay of my daughter and, and son. But I love to sing these songs, right? We, we want to sing. There's something about singing. People will uh, say to me, can you sing? And I say, absolutely. Absolutely, I can sing. It, not that it sounds good, but I can sing. God has given me a voice. And if you... You realize this, especially in our culture, we're much more of a listening culture than we are a singing culture. Now, some of you have beautiful voices and you can sing and sing beautifully. But all of us, if we have a voice, we can sing. But we elect not to sing because we, we leave it to the professionals, right? Those who are experts, those who've been trained, those who get record deals. And so then we, or even people in the church, that they have a great voice, which means then if I don't have a great voice, then I shouldn't be singing. But that's not the case. We've been given a song to sing. God made us to sing, and it's a gift. We shouldn't just leave it to the professionals or the, uh, the paid volunteers or the, the people who get up in the robes. We're so thankful that they lead us in that way, but they're inviting us to sing with them. They're not performing for us. Through music, we can peer into the biblical story to see a poet's perspective 
on God's story. And so as we learn those songs, as we sing those songs, they, they become part of who we are. We can be moved by the, the great truths of Scripture and even memorize that story from a different perspective by singing. And so one of the best times of year for us to do that is in the Advent season. Advent is that time, as I mentioned, is when we anticipate celebrating the birth of Jesus. We celebrate his first coming, and the second Advent is the celebration of his second coming when he returns to establish his kingdom once and for all. Uh, but the challenge for us is that a lot of Christian music today is flimsy and sentimentalized. Too many songs we hear don't reflect the power of a king that was born into a world of hardship, of sin, of struggle, a place where sorrow and suffering leave us desperate for answers, but also leave us longing for something more. And so while we lament a Christmas creep, right, that extension of the Christmas shopping season that now begins somewhere around Labor Day, we can see that through that, that, that creeping of Christmas, there's this longing for something, something more. There's something that's missing, and unfortunately, the culture points us to, to find solutions that aren't gospel-driven. They're finding solutions in material possessions when the Savior is there, revealing himself to us. And so we come to this space to be reminded of Jesus' presence in the world, to the person of Christ, the hope of all the earth, the, the desire of nations, the joy of every longing heart. It's the singing of authentic and vibrant songs, carols, that, dramatic, that, dra that the dramatic tension of a world at war and a vulnerable baby born a king are presented to us. Christmas carols point us to the joy of the world, but they don't gloss over the harsh reality of sin and sadness. And it's only against the, the backdrop of a world that's tarnished by sin that the true joy of the incarnation actually shines through. And it's our blessing is that we have this month to begin preparing and celebrating the coming of the Savior. We spend these weeks getting ready to celebrate, to rejoice, to marvel in part by singing carols. Yes, there are decorations to be put up. Yes, there are parties to gather in this. There are meals to be prepared, but we also need to prepare our hearts to feast on the celebration that Jesus has come into this world. And these carols remind us of that story, and they center us on the incarnation. Carols were actually first sung in Europe thousands of years ago, but were then pagan songs sung at the winter solstice, which was the shortest day of the year. Uh, the word carol means to dance or or a song of praise and joy. We have at least one carol in the room with us today. They used to be written and sung during all the seasons, but now when we think about a carol, we think about a song near Christmas. And so this morning we're going to consider a hymn that's found in our, in our hymnal, a carol, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, as a way to enter into the season of Advent. The writer says, Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. 
Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to the present to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when, his, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said, what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also and so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your holy word that tells the story of Jesus and his family, the obedience of his parents to present their son in the custom according to the law, and the response of a man who had been waiting expectantly waiting to see the king come. God, give us hearts of expectation, a desire to wait patiently upon you when you reveal yourself to us, that we might also respond in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. So begins the Charles Dickens novel, A Tale of Two Cities. One of those cities was London, and in the 18th century, it was a place of advancing culture and influence, but it was also a place of violence, slavery, and immorality. Orphans struggled to survive, women had few rights, and the people's passion for God had waned. The steeples stood tall, but the church had become accommodated to the culture spiritual fervor had faded. This was the city 
where another man named Charles lived. But this Charles had experienced a spiritual renewal along with his brother John. Together they were seeking to show their countrymen what it meant to know the Savior of the world. In a world of sin, struggle, and sorrow, Charles Wesley penned the words to a famous hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Wesley stood in a position similar to us. He lived in a time of struggle, a time of difficulty, a time that was changing, a time when people longed for hope. In a world of sin, Wesley longed to see Jesus' kingdom come, for God to, to right the wrongs and to wipe away the tears. He longed to see his family and friends come to know Jesus, the one who had set him free the one who was the hope of all the earth, the desire of every nation, the joy of every longing heart. He knew that our only hope was Jesus, and it was this Savior who inspired him to write this and 6,000 other hymns in his lifetime. You must be a deep well of faith to draw out 6,000 hymns. In this carol, there are 16 different scriptural allusions or biblical thoughts contained. From beginning to end, it's a song that speaks of the promise of a longed-for and an expected Savior. Like the longing Charles Wesley experienced was the longing of Simeon. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that Simeon was a righteous man. He was devout. He was waiting, as it says, for the consolation of Israel, which means the messianic hope. He was longing for the promised Savior who would come and redeem, who would come to restore. He was living with a sense of expectation about what God was going to do. When he finally encounters the chosen one, he sings his own carol, one which speaks to his future hope and readiness to meet God face to face. Think about these words. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He fulfilled his promise. Gideon had waited and waited in the temple for that day when he would meet the Lord. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And note that he says, A light for all the Gentiles. That this Jesus who had been presented to him, that he had held in his arms, would not only be someone who could restore Israel, but who would draw the Gentiles, you and I. How would Simeon know this beauty and this wonder? He, like Charles Wesley, he knew the sorrow of life. The religious leaders in Simeon's day were faithless. They were self-centered. They were frauds. Uh, the Romans, who were heathens, they ruled the land. And the only thing that can save them, both the religious leaders and the Romans is for someone to come from outside the world to enter into the broken system and rescue and bring a kind of revolution. Not with the sword, but with sacrificial love. It was only someone like Jesus. Maybe you could say that we're in a similar situation to both Charles Wesley and to Simeon. Maybe this is true for every person who has ever lived now until the coming of Jesus in his second advent. The history of man on a day-to-day -day basis is the same for all people. War, oppression, violence, hatred, 
There's brokenness in our relationships on a global scale. But there are brokenness in our relationships in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our own families. There's even a brokenness that we experience in and of ourselves. We struggle with who we are, where we're supposed to be. What are we supposed to be doing? Am I loved? Am I accepted? Am I a person who has a sense of expectation? There's a sense of desperation at the conflict in the world and even the apathy that can take place and take root in our own hearts. But friends, a light has dawned. Hope has come, not from within, not because we dug down inside our own hearts to find something to pick ourselves up, but that someone has come in from the outside. The person of Jesus who's entered in, the one who enables us to live with a sense of expectation even when the broken world around us seeks to consume us with apathy. A sense of expectation about what today can bring, about what tomorrow has for us. You see, living in expectation means that we're believing that Jesus can bring healing, healing to the world, healing to our families. Living in expectation means so many different things. When we live in hope, and we live in the sense of expectation, we're able to forgive the person who has hurt us. When we live in expectation, we can trust that God is going to provide all of the resources that we need. Not only the money that we have that we need to just function, but the relationships and the freedom and the fellowship and the joy of living in community the faith deposit that we need as people come alongside us in our moment of struggle, our moment of sorrow. People who come alongside us when we feel angry or frustrated to say, brother, I love you. Live with a sense of expectation. As we look back at our past and we struggle with the choices that we've made and we wonder, did I do the right thing? What about the thing that I said? Have I made the wrong choices? And we don't know and we're uncertain we're able to say, Lord, I'm living in the expectation of this moment. Yes, there are things that I look back on in my life and I say, I would do that differently. But Lord, you are the God of now. You have forgiven my past. So I'm able to, to move past my past. Living in a sense of expectation means stepping out in faith to grow in my understanding of the Lord. Certainly by reflecting on his word and taking in uh, the scriptures and entering into community, but also by serving the world around me. One of the best ways for me to understand and know and to grow in my faith, to learn what my faith really means, is to take a risk for God, to step out in faith by serving someone who is in need. And it could be something as simple as taking one of the ornaments off the angel tree and prayerfully considering how you might bless another family. But it's also looking around your community and your neighborhood and saying, who are the people that are in my neighborhood that I work with that I'm in class with, that need a sense of community and a sense of connection. Being willing to take that risk and to put your faith into action and to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to bring the kingdom to someone. That's a sense of expectation. That's taking a risk. And when we know and believe that Jesus has come and that he is coming, then the things of the world, the risks we take are not really risks at all. We're simply living in obedience. We think about uh, Jesus' parents. There was a law and a custom and a practice, and we see a demonstration of their obedience, simply taking their son. How did it feel, though, to walk into the temple, having to offer 
the most insignificant sacrifice one could offer. They came with what little they had, and they brought it to the Lord, and they said, we're going to respond in obedience with the little thing that we have. How many times do we see that in the Bible when someone just shows up with the little that they have, the boy with his lunch when Jesus feeds the 5,000? Mary and Joseph just coming and walking in obedience. What is the little that you have? Maybe you feel like, I have so little right now. I have so little energy. I have so little hope. I have so little resources. All the Lord is asking you to do is to take what you have and to make it an offering and to see what it is that he can do. Because in the end, it's not about you accumulating something or accomplishing something. It's about God accomplishing something through you. What is it? that you have, that you can entrust to the Lord this season? What word, what gift, what gracious action, what prayer can you offer to someone who is in need? And you see, we live in a sense of expectation because we know that Jesus is coming because he's already proven he has come. And so we can live with these uh, risks. We can take ownership and we can take responsibility. And think about this. Simeon, he had a chance to hold the Savior as a little baby in his arms. Think about this. We know way more about the Savior than even Simeon did. Simeon went to his grave not knowing that the Messiah would lay down his life for his people. He went to the grave not knowing that Jesus would be raised on high from the dead for the life of his people, that he would ascend, that he would be sitting at the right hand of the Father Almighty, ever living to intercede. And yet, Simeon, with his devout faith, his simple faith, his incomplete faith was living with a sense of expectation. How much more then should we live with a sense of expectation about what God is going to do that this holiday, this season of celebration can be the greatest ever? Not because we have the biggest party, not because we get the right gift or we give the right gift, but that we meditate upon the incarnation more this year than ever before. As we see the celebration of Jesus' birth against the backdrop of the brokenness of the world, and we see how brightly that star shines in the midst of the darkness. Have you ever heard the term axity? Axity. It's a term used in medieval times for a spiritual disease. We don't use it uh, much anymore, but it's something that threatens every single one of us. It threatens you right now. You see, after that first flush of enthusiasm is worn off in our Christian faith, it's this form of sloth, not a physical sloth, but it's an apathy of the soul. It shows in a hardness of mind and a, and a wariness of spirit, which are caused often by hurt or disillusionment. We, we started off with a sense of expectation. We started off with a sense of hope. But as we've been worn down and ground down by hurt and the struggle and the burden of life, we've experienced accident. J.R. Packer, a theologian and pastor, describes it this way. He says, people with accident have grown cynical about ideals enthusiasm, and strong hopes. Let me ask you, do you still have ideals? Do you still have enthusiasm? Do you still have strong hope? He says, they look with pity at young people and say, oh, they'll learn, taking it for granted that when they've learned, they'll become tough inside too. 
Once upon a time, these leather-soled people were keen, were hopeful, were expectant, but nothing happened, or they got hurt. And so now they protect themselves against the pain by adopting a cynical, world-weary attitude. Has that happened to you? Or better yet, how much has that happened to you? Do you struggle with cynicism and defeat and all? It's just going to always be this way. Are you living with a sense of expectation about the hope that is yours in the person of Jesus Christ? Sometimes, Packer says, these people are ministers of churches. They're elders and deacons. They're long-term volunteers, people who've been walking with God for a long time. Instead of uh, life and a sense of expectation, they just go mechanically through the motions of faith, just showing up. And let me say, friends, sometimes all you got to do, all you can do is just show up. But I just encourage you, just keep showing up. If that's all you got and there's no emotion, just keep showing up anyway. We'll love you and care for you. And when I show up one day and I'm just like this, somebody give me a hug, okay? And when you come that way, you just show up and we'll embrace you and you'll hear something from the Spirit of God. You'll see a candle lit or a little boy get up and talk about faith or you'll hear a song or the word will strike you. Just by showing up, you can encounter the presence of God. Just keep showing up. Sometimes we feel that we just know from experience that good things aren't going to happen, and that's the end of it. So we just plod on, expecting nothing and receiving nothing. Packer says, but the Lord does not send us out on his work in order that nothing may happen. His word is intended to have an impact. It's sent out to accomplish something. God's word does not return void. We ought never to settle for a non-expectant, defeated attitude. Rather, we should be asking and expecting great things from God. What is the great thing that you are asking of God? What is the thing that only God can do in your life right now that you're asking him to do? Is there anything on that list? Get out a piece of paper and look up in your notes, where is the list? The things that are huge that I'm asking God to do. Everybody here needs to have that list. What is the ginormous thing that only God can do that you're asking him to do? It should be in your notes. It should be in your Bible. This is what I'm asking God to do. What is it? Well, I just ask that everybody gets together and has bacon one morning for breakfast and we all just get along. Well, that's great. And maybe that's a ginormous thing in your family. I don't know how it's going. You just survived Thanksgiving. But what is it that only God can do that you're asking him to do? Um, the father of mar modern mission, his, he said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. William Carey. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Do you expect great things from God? Are you living with a sense of expectation? And look, there's a lot of things that we should expect from God that are little small things. Restored relationships, opportunities, small blessings, ways to serve that, that don't uh, make a big fanfare and belong on a bulletin board. But do we want God to do something amazing this season? Or are we willing to settle for just another Christmas? 
Let's live with a sense of expectation. You see, Advent isn't really supposed to soothe us. This time of preparation doesn't teach us to be stoic in the face of irreparable damage of the world. It doesn't teach us to be piously hopeless. Advent celebrates the Creator's arrival to repair the damage of sin, judging and making new. Advent comforts because it promises a final restoration, justice and peace in a long-expected Savior. All the burdens and the cares and the struggles of this life will one day be restored in the person of Jesus when he comes in his fullness. And so now we live in the difficulty and the struggle, but we do so with a sense of expectation. Advent encourages us to persevere in the trials and injustice because it demonstrates that God has pledged to make all things new because of the one who reigns in us forever. Advent unveils that God so determined to fulfill his purpose that he did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. And who by his grace, and as Wesley reminds us, by his all-sufficient merit, raises us to his glorious throne. So I'm not here to tell you that your problems aren't your problems. I'm not here to tell you that you don't have a real good reason to be upset or to feel sadness. Because all of you do. What I'm here to tell you is that Jesus has come into this world to be with you as you face that struggle. And you have the opportunity right now, in this season, and I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is the reason for all the seasons. And in every moment of life, to take hold of the expected one who enables us and empowers us to live with a sense of expectation. And so you have a decision to make. Will you believe the promises of God? Will you be like Simeon, eagerly waiting the Savior to come to, to remind you of the kingdom? Or will you live with a sense of hopelessness? A sense that, ah, oh, God can't work through these things. My list of what I want God to do that are huge is going to remain blank. Or are you going to fill it in? and begin praying expectantly. We know that Simeon was in that place for a very long time. Do you think he got discouraged? Do you think he felt like giving up? Do you think he felt like staying home? What if the day that he stayed home was the day that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in? He was there. He was writing. He was living with expectation. Will you? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.